You're listening to A Sure Hope with Pastor Dave Shank of Calvary Chapel, Cape May in Cape May, New Jersey. Join us as Pastor Dave teaches verse by verse through God's Word. you can look at this. There's so many things. That's why Jesus says, if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He didn't mean to take it completely out. He meant to close your eye and stop looking at whatever's causing you to sin. Get rid of it. If the computer is causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your phone's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your TV's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Whatever is causing you to sin, get rid of it. That's what they're doing. The consequences of sin are even worse than you would imagine. Not just the terrifying horrors of an eternity apart from God, but the earthly destruction it brings. As Pastor Dave will warn in today's message, Scripture tells us that it'd be better to cut off body parts than to allow sin to reign in our lives. Now here's Pastor Dave in the book of 2 Kings chapter 23 as he continues his message, The Last Gasp. He read the words of the Lord in the hearing of the people. The king did it himself. He didn't have somebody do it for him. He read it himself. He was so concerned that the nation would hear the word of God that he read it to them himself. That's how much he valued the word of God. All the words. What does this tell me? It tells me he gave them the full counsel of God that they had at that time. He gave them the full counsel. Nuts and bolts, every if, and, but, whatever, and whatever, everything in between. He gave them the full counsel of God. This is why here at Calvary Chapel, we go line by line, verse upon verse. This is why we go from Genesis to Revelation. This is why we go through the word, so that you will receive the full counsel of God. That's why we don't talk about things until they come up in Scripture. When they come up in Scripture, we talk about them, so that you will have the full counsel He even told them about God's punishment coming to them. How do I know that? Because that's what Deuteronomy talks about. Deuteronomy talks about the cursings if you don't follow God. Talks about the blessings if you do follow God. But it talks about the cursings. It said the violators of the covenant will have heck to pay. (laughs) What did it say when he read the book? He lamented. He lamented. He, He just was so sorrowful. This is the way we need to take the Word of God into our lives, guys. This is what we need when we read the Word of God. It's my hope and my prayer that when we read the Word of God or when you read the Word of God by yourself and we're teaching it, I hope something's happening in your heart. I hope something is happening within you. I hope it's happening in there and and something's going on. It's not just something hitting, hitting your head and falling off. I hope something's happening. And then he takes the people and he guides them to make a covenant. What's a covenant? It's a deal. They made a promise to God. They, they, they made a promise that they were going to do everything according to those things, everything according to the statutes, the commandments, the laws. They were going to do it. He stands by a pillar, and he makes this beautiful, beautiful promise to the Lord. What was he doing? By making a covenant, he was making the people respond outwardly to what was happening inside. 
He wanted them to respond outwardly to what was happening inside. And that's what we pray you guys would do. We pray that when you read the word of God, something happens in your heart and you will actively, outwardly act by sharing the message with somebody else, by loving somebody else, by helping somebody else, or whatever it is the Lord chose you to do. And that's what it's about. That's why we do it. We don't do it That's because that's what churches do. We do it because it's the word of God. It's his word, inerrant, infallible. It's his word. And in my life, what he says goes. Oh, that the nation would just, just, just come back and do these kind of things. King Josiah stands before the people and he publicly declares his commitment to obey these things. And I love this. And that's what a leader does. A leader obeys and they follow a leader. No, pun, no puns there. He, they follow this man. They follow someone who says, when I read this, does this remind anybody of anybody in Scripture? It reminded me of Joshua in Joshua 24. In Joshua 24, Joshua is standing before the people of Israel before they cross the Jordan. And he says, listen, you can serve those other gods on the other side of the river like your forefathers did. You can serve those things. And then he says, but as for me and my house... We will serve the Lord. That's what he said. That, that's what Josiah is saying. Hey, guys, you need to come with me. I'm going to serve the Lord. And there was the model for them. I'm going to serve the Lord. It's what takes place in your heart that counts. It's what takes place in your heart that counts. Out of the heart, the mouth speaks. I'm, I'm speaking out of my heart what is in my heart, what God has put in there. Revival begins in the heart of the king. Revival, we said last week, begins in your hearts, begins in my heart, begins in the heart of people who read God's word. If this nation, if this nation who is called by my name would humble themselves, turn from their wicked ways, etc., etc., if we would just read the word of God. But no, we kicked it out of the schools. We kicked it out of the buildings. We don't want to read the word of God. We would rather kill innocent babies. We would rather do that. No. It's what takes place in your heart, not what in somebody else's heart. I can't worry about anybody else's heart. Although I'm a pastor, I want to worry about your hearts. But i got to take care of this house. As for me and my house, I'm going to serve the Lord. And hopefully that's going to be an example to you. And hopefully you will be led to do that as you see others' examples. I see that in your lives. I see that in your lives. And it encourages me. But revival had already began in the heart of the king. He was already on fire for the Lord. And you know what? That fire is contagious, man. You ever get around somebody who's really on fire for the Lord? Stop. Slow down. Stop it. Ah, ah, ah. Okay. People are on fire for God, man. I love that. People are on fire for the Lord. That's what happens. Revival begins in your heart and it just blossoms out. I love it. I love it. Now the king says, I want everybody to have this. And this is how I feel right now. I've read this and I've studied it. And I'm, I get excited. I get pumped up. I want you to get that. I want you to feel it because God's word is coming forth and we read it. Something should be happening in our heart. And this is what the word of God does. It stirs up something inside and then it comes out. It comes out and it's visible. We, have, we sang a song. Don't we sing from the inside out? Yeah, we sing that song from the inside out. That's when it happens. And then others want what you have. When they see that, they want it. After these people heard the word of the Lord and they knew the consequences for their sin, they said, you know what? It's time to remove the sin. This is what the word of God does. This is what the word of God does. It tells you what to do with your sin. 
It tells you how to handle your sin. And as you read the word of God, you find out that there is a Savior. His name is Jesus Christ. And he went to a cross and died for you. Then if you come to the cross and humble yourselves before him, admit that you're a sinner and ask for forgiveness, you will be saved. You believe that he did that and you will be saved. The word of God tells us that. The word of God tells us that. The word of God tells us that the law will lead you to know what sin is. The law will take you up to the point where I recognize what sin is. The scripture says, I didn't know that stealing was wrong until the law said, thou shalt not steal. But the law takes you up there and you go, okay, this is great. And now you can repent. Look at four through seven. And the king commanded Hilkiah, the high priest, the priest of the second order, and the doorkeepers to bring out of the temple all the articles of the Lord that were made for Baal, for Ashtoreth, and all the host of heaven. And he burned them outside of Jerusalem in the fields of Kidron and carried their ashes to Bethel. Or Bethel. Then he moved the idolatrous priest whom the kings of Judah had ordained to burn incense on the high places in the cities of Judah and in the places all around Jerusalem. And those who burned incense to Baal, to the sun, to the moon, to the constellations, and to all the hosts of heaven. And he brought out the wooden image from the house of the Lord to the brook Kidron outside Jerusalem and burned it in the brook Kidron and ground it to ashes and threw the ashes in the graves of the common people. Then he tore down the ritual booths of the perverted persons that were in the house of the Lord where the women wove hangings and the wooden image. So he does all these things. The word of God tells you, talks about sin, and you want to get rid of it. So they're tearing these things down. They're taking them out. This is what true repentance looks like. True repentance looks like this because we're getting rid of those things that held us down. There's so many ways you can look at this. There's so many things. That's why Jesus says if your eye causes you to sin, pluck it out. He didn't mean to take it completely out. He meant to close your eye and stop looking at whatever's causing you to sin. Get rid of it. If the computer is causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your phone's causing you to sin, get rid of it. If your TV's causing you to sin, get rid of it. Whatever is causing you to sin, get rid of it. That's what they're doing. They're cleansing the place. They're getting rid of it. Because this is what true repentance is. True repentance is a response to God's word. It's a response to God's word. This is what true revival does. The word of God cuts to your heart. It cuts to the quick. And then you respond by saying, I'll do whatever you want to do. Whatever you want. That's true revival. And that's how they start. And Paul tells us that it's the goodness of God that leads man into repentance. So when I read in this about the sin, you know, gee, all you got to do is start reading Romans. And by the time you're self-done flagellating yourself after you read Romans because you're so wicked and horrible, you find out that you can do something with your sin. You can confess it. You can confess it. All that Josiah does is in accordance to the law. And he's having the people implement the covenant that they took. They took a covenant? Show me. And they're not from Missouri. Show me. Josiah orders a removal of all the idols. He not only wants them to be removed, he wants them burned. He wants them ground to powder. He wants them stomped out. Why? So somebody doesn't go and sneak one back. He doesn't want anybody to have one come back and bring it back. This responding outwardly is what's happening inside, in the heart. And all started after they heard the word of God. And they committed themselves back to the Lord. They recommitted. They took a stand for him. Right is right and wrong ain't. I stand for the Lord. 
They threw the ashes on the graves of the other ones. Why did they do that? That's kind of crazy. It wasn't intended to defile the graves, but they knew that Jews couldn't come in contact with dead, dead bodies or dead, dead things. So this would keep them from going back and getting some of the ashes and rebuilding the idols. That was very smart. So the Reformation, Reformation continues in 8 to 10. And he brought all the priests from the cities of Judah and defiled the high places where the priests had burned incense from Geba to Beersheba. Also, he broke down the high places at the gates, which were at the entrance of the gate of Joshua, the governor of the city, which were to the left of the city gate. Nevertheless, the priests of the high places did not come up to the altar of the Lord in Jerusalem, but they ate unleavened bread among their brethren. And he defiled Topeth which is in the valley of the son of Hindam, that no man might make his son or daughter pass through the fire to Molech. By removing the priest, Joshua not only started with the sinful things, but he removes the sinful people that promoted the sinful things. Took away everything. He's taken away everything that might cause the people to sin. He did remove the sinful people. But he also removed the things that caused sin and the people that caused the people to sin. The idols that filled the temple didn't get there on their own. Somebody had to put them there. And he got rid of those people. They were idolatrous priests. And then he defiles Topeth. Topeth is a horrible, horrible place. It's a place where they sacrifice children to Molech. And I gather to say, and I'll say it again, that I think that I'll say it. I think that Planned Parenthood is nothing but Topeth. It's a place where we sacrifice children. It's a place where we sacrifice kids. Horrible. Josiah removed this abomination. In verses 11 through 14, he removes horses also. Then he removed the horses that the kings of Judah had dedicated to the sun at the entrance of the house of the Lord by the chamber of Nathan Melech, the officer who was in the court, and he burned the chariots of the sun of fire. They were worshiping the sun god with these horses and things. The altars that were on the roof, the upper chamber of Ahaz, which the kings of Judah had made, and the altars which Messiah had made, in the two courts of the house of the Lord, the king broke down and pulverized there and threw their dust into the brook of Kidron. Then the king defiled the high places that were east of Jerusalem, which were on the south of the Mount of Corruption, which Solomon, the king of Israel, had built for Asherah, the abomination of the Sidonians, for Chemosh, the abomination of the Moabites, and for Milcom, the abomination of the people of Ammon. And he broke in pieces the sacred pillars and cut down the wooden images and filled the places with the bones of men. Wow, he been a busy dude. He took all the places where they worshipped and transformed them into cemeteries. The Jews were at the places of burial, and they wouldn't come back. And he extends the Reformation now. He's done all this in Jerusalem. He's done all this around, and he says, you know what? I'm not stopping here. Even though Israel, the kingdom of Israel is no more, I'm going to go down to Israel, and I'm going to start kicking butt and taking names down there too. And that's what he does. Look at 15 through 20. Moreover, the altar that was at Bethel, remember one of the golden calves were made and put in Bethel? He goes down there, the high place, which Jeroboam, the son of Nabat, who made Israel sin, had made both the altar and the high place. He broke down, and he burned the high place and crushed it to powder and burned the wooden image. 
As Josiah turned, he saw the tombs that were there on the mountain. And he sent and took the bones out of the tombs and burned them on the oil and defiled it according to the word of the Lord, which the man of God proclaimed, who proclaimed these words. Then he said, What gravestone is that I see? So the men of the city told him, It is the tomb of the man of God who came from Judah and proclaimed these things which you have done against the altar of Bethel. And he said, Let him alone. Let no one move his bones. So they let his bones alone with the bones of the prophet who came from Samaria. Now Josiah also took away the shrines of the high places and the cities that were in the cities of Samaria, which the kings of Israel had made to provoke the Lord to anger, and he did to them according to all the deeds he had done in Bethel. He executed all the priests of the high places who were there on the altars, burned men bone on them, and returned to Jerusalem. Wow. Why does he do this? Why did he, why did he do this? Well, I can tell you. True revival has no bounds. True revival spreads and goes everywhere it's supposed to go. And I told you before, there is a documented activity where there was one a huge revival going on over in England at some time. And I forget what it was. It was Moody was there or one someone was there. And this huge revival was going on and people were getting saved left and right. And one day, it's proven, it's written, there was a guy in a pub all by himself. There wasn't anybody in there except he and the bartender. And he was just drinking a glass of ale. And all of a sudden, the Holy Spirit hit him. He fell on his knees right there in the, in the, in the pub and confessed Jesus Christ as Lord. Revival has no bounds. When true revival is happening, it will spread like wildfire. And it will go and go and go and has no bounds. It could start right here in Lower Township and move to middle to upper and all on there. It could go this way. It could go across the pond to Delaware. It could continually move. That's what revival does. True revival. True revival. Not some made-up revival. Not some makeshift revival. We're not going to have a meeting and say, we want revival. No, we're going to confess our sins because he's faithful and just to forgive our sins. And we're going to get right with him. And we're going to commit our ways to him. We're going to follow his word. And then we're going to say, what should we do? And that's what he's doing here. The revival is moving everything around. Now, Josiah puts the last piece of the revival in place. One more piece he has to put in place. Look at verses 21 through 23. Then the king commanded all the people, saying, Keep the Passover of the Lord, your God, as it is written in the book of the covenant, such as the Passover surely never had been held since the days of the judges who judged Israel, nor all the days of the kings of Israel and the kings of Judah, but in the 18th year of King Josiah, this Passover was held before the Lord in Jerusalem. I love that. I love that. What was missing? Now that we've come this far, we, we've come this far, we've cleansed the temple. We've cleansed the temple. We've dug into the word of God. We've repented of our sin, and we've confessed our sin, and we're moving along, and, and we're doing all these things. We have to remember the Lord our God. We need to go back to the ordinances that were given. And one of the ordinances that was given the church, or excuse me, was given them Passover. Passover to remember what happened back in Egypt when they came out of Egypt. When they came out of Egypt. So he says, this has to be done. For years and years, since the judges, hundreds and years ago, the Passover has not been held. 
a beautiful ceremony, a wonderful ceremony. And if you don't know by now, the Passover ceremony, everything about the Passover ceremony points to one person. His name is Jesus Christ. Every single thing in the Passover, because Jesus is our Passover lamb. He is the Paschal lamb. He is our Passover lamb. But they ignored it for centuries. But now that the people's hearts were once again towards the Lord, they were compelled to celebrate. They were compelled to celebrate, observe. And what was the main purpose of the Passover? Remember. They were to remember what God did in Egypt. What's the purpose of us taking communion? Remember. When you do this, remember me. When you take the cup, remember me. Remember, it's so important that remember what God has done for us through Jesus Christ. When Peter stands up on Pentecostal Sunday, completely filled with the Holy Spirit, trying to explain to the group gathered that the men were not drunk, but they were speaking in foreign tongues, proclaiming the joy of the Lord. He gives this beautiful, wonderful sermon. And the men ask him, the men ask him, what should we do? What should we do? What did he say? Repent and be baptized. Everybody who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Why did he say baptized? Because it's an ordinance of the Lord. The Lord has given us baptized. He's only given us two ordinances, communion and baptism. He's given us that. Now, you do not need to be baptized to be saved. However, again, being baptized is demonstrating outwardly what has taken place inside. You're demonstrating on an outward thing to everybody to see what the Lord has done in your heart. So we use that. We see that. We do this because we love God and we want to obey his commands. We do it in remembrance of him. We want to draw closer to the Lord when we obey his commands. We read all about that in John. In John, we read when Jesus says, you'll know you're of mine when you obey me, when you obey my commands, when you do what I've asked you to do. Verse 24, Josiah even goes after the mediums and the spirituals. He goes after household gods and idols. Look at verse 24a. Moreover, Josiah put away those who consulted mediums and spiritists, the household gods and the idols and all the abominations that were seen in the land of Judah in Jerusalem that he might perform the words of the law, which were written in the book that Hilkiah, the priest, found in the house of the Lord. These household gods, these private gods that people had, Right now, I'm thinking of a man who had all kinds of little gods that his daughter stole when she was being taken back to Cana. His name was Laban. And he had all these little gods that he had around. And when, when was it Rachel or, or um, Leah? One of them, I think both of them, I'm not sure. Was it Rachel? Was, it, was, was Rachel? She took some of these with her, remember? She took some of them with her. They had these little gods. They had these little idols that they put in their house. They were called household gods. We have them too. Me and I take Odie, Odie, geez, that's a long time ago. We take our Macy for a walk. And I can't tell you how many times we walk by, and there's the Blessed Mother on this lawn. There she is on that lawn. There she is on that lawn. And everywhere you go, there's these idols. There, there are these idols that are sitting there on the lawn. And I know people who were born-again Christians who told me, I want to sell my house, so I'm going to bury St. Anthony upside down. Or is it St. Joseph? St. Joseph upside down in my yard. What? Yeah. See, these little household things that we think are, are not anything, oh, it's no big thing. Well, yes, it is. When you get right down to it, it is a big thing. You are a sure 
Our time with you today has come to an end on a sure hope. But in our next edition, Pastor Dave Shank will continue teaching through the book of 2 Kings. In the meantime, you can listen to more teachings from this series online at assurehoperadio.com. You can also subscribe to our podcast on iTunes. Just search for Assure Hope and see the latest editions as soon as they're posted. If you're enjoying these teachings and would like to get more involved with the church behind this ministry, we'd love to meet you at Calvary Chapel, Cape May. We gather each week for a time of worship and Bible study. Our service times are Sundays at 8.30 and 10.30 a.m. Feel free to give us a call for more information. Our number is 609-884-5821. Again, that's 609 609- 884-5821. Otherwise, you can visit assurehoperadio.com for directions and more details. If you prefer email, go ahead and email us with any questions at info at capewatchradio.com. You might be interested in knowing that for those who aren't able to come in person, we're streaming our services on Facebook Live and on YouTube Live. Just look for a link on our website at assurehoperadio.com. Thanks for listening to today's message in the book of 2 Kings. We're looking forward to the next edition as Pastor Dave will share more from this Old Testament book about the rise and fall of many kings. There are lessons to be learned about leaders who were just people. May what you hear give you a sure hope. Oh